Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. This is your host, Mike Abadir. Today is Thursday, January 13th in the year 2022. How is everyone? Hope getting settled into the new year. And obviously this weekend brings some excitement. It's interesting because we haven't seen an NFL playoff start in mid-January. I don't think ever. So we've got the first round coming up on Saturday, January 15th. So right squared, right you know, down the middle of the month there, right in the middle, January 15th. Doesn't get later than that in an NFL season. Haven't seen it before. It just extends the season a little bit longer for us, and that doesn't suck. So there's a lot of really good matchups this weekend. And we also get another first, which is Monday Night Football, the playoff edition. So that's going to be pretty exciting, and that's going to be featuring NFC West rivals, Cardinals and Rams and boy did they both look like neither wanted to win the division neither wanted to secure the division it's kind of odd kind of odd it seems like you know usually you have an opportunity to go for the jugular neither of them did so we'll talk about that in a little bit as well we're going to be joined shortly here by Nick Underhill of New Orleans dot football He is the Saints analyst, beat writer. He does podcasts. He does video. He does it all. He's really, really terrific uh, NFL insider. So we'll be looking forward to that in just a few minutes here. Now, before we get there, and we'll talk a lot of football, interesting news and note that I uh, came across. Dennis Rodman has passed on some really good athletic genes. I bet you nobody expected me to talk about Dennis Rodman uh, on today's show in middle of January 2022, right? Well, his daughter is a superb athlete. In fact, she's a 19-year-old and just got the first call-up to the bigs, so to speak, to the U.S. women's national team. Her name is Trinity Rodman. And Trinity is 19 years old. She won, and forgive me, I don't know the name of the women's league, uh, the NWSL. NW, what would that be? Uh, I'm guessing the W is women, and S is probably soccer, and L is probably the league. Oh, national probably, right? Yeah, I just uh, talked myself into it. So the for the National Women's Soccer League, she was Rookie of the Year. Now she gets the call-up. And it's a pretty young team, by the way. You know, uh, a vast majority of the roster is under 25 years old. And if you guys know some of the terminology that soccer uses, caps, right? So I believe that it is uh, about half the team has 12 or fewer caps. There's only 10 teams from the uh, Olympic team that's on this roster, that are on this roster. And this year, they don't have... Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino, or Crystal Dunn, who were some of the most experienced and best players that we've had in the last like you know 10, 15 years. 
So that's a quick soccer news and note for you, but it'll be really interesting to see how she does. Now, I believe she was, let's see here, a first round pick. I don't. I'm not going to pretend that I know how women's soccer works and, and all that kind of stuff. But I do know that as a call up, she's coming in pretty young, and they're expecting big things from her. They are gonna pretty much. You don't call somebody up at 19 and then sit them on the bench, right? You bring them up, and you get a sense for whether they're ready or not. And then when they are, you you you, you let them loose. So I'm thinking. Hey, the rookie of the year honor. She's uh, got the family pedigree. She could probably deal with the uh, pressure and the limelight maybe a little bit differently than somebody who's never experienced uh, a taste of professional life from a young age, professional athlete life from a young age. So I'm looking forward to that. Like I said, guessing most of you guys didn't expect to be hearing (laughs) about Dennis Rodman today. Uh, But it's actually about Dennis Rodman's daughter. So, Trinity, check her out. Okay. Obviously, the main topics on the table today are going to be more and more football. NFL. Uh, A quick mention, though, about the college national championship. It was a good game. It wasn't the most exciting game. It wasn't. You know, one of those games where you're just at the edge of your seat the whole time. You know, we started off with a bunch of field goals. You know, and going into halftime, they definitely didn't light up the scoreboard. It was uh, kind of a combination of, you know, maybe sloppy play and a defensive struggle, I guess if you want to call it that. Wasn't the most exciting brand of football, but Nick Saban lost. And he lost to uh, somebody that was uh, working for him for many years. I don't know the exact number. I believe 12 or 13 years uh, did Kirby work for uh, Saban. And uh, Saban historically has had the upper hand anytime he's played. His teams have played against any of his previous uh, understudies or coordinators especially in any big games, but I think any game in general. I mean, it's not like one of those things where he's a game above 500 or anything like that. I mean, I think he's like crushed, stomped, and dominated for the most part for several years running now, uh, going up against anybody that used to work for him. So it's kind of neat to see, right? I mean, Alabama is kind of the, the, um, the dynasty, big bad Alabama. They get to the championship. And they don't even have to reload because they've got next year's crop ready to come up. Um, But look, you got to give them credit. They're a well-oiled machine. They're able, you know, they're able to do what I think a lot of people in Southern California had hoped that USC would do. Because if you remember that run for USC, started with a Carson Palmer. And then, of course, it went to Matt Leiner, Mark Sanchez, J.D. Booty. Uh, and then, you know, a couple other guys have all, and they've all made it to the NFL, every single one of those guys and Lindell White and Reggie Bush. And I could go on and on and on, but imagine if SC had done that for like double or triple the time period, think of how impressive that would have been. And USC had the chance to, but 
you already know you already we already knew that things were gonna go awry when Pete Carroll left. Right. I mean, to me, that was the first signal that things were going to go sideways at USC land, which just kind of shows you how hard it is to kind of stay at the top for a long time. It just makes everything that Saban's done in Alabama that much more remarkable to me. I mean, we, we really haven't seen anything like it in our lifetimes. You know, you could probably go back to, you know, when Notre Dame was great in the whatever, 60s, 50s. I mean, I know they've been great since then. But, I mean, back in the days where they really dominated when Oklahoma was dominant, you know, the Bear Bryant days, the the, the days of of black and white football, you know, where you had a team winning the national championship 6-3. to Completely different game, completely different football. But in today's age, right, with social media, with player movement, with uh, ability to transfer – where you have guys who want to play, who want to get on the field, and you got to satisfy a lot of young men, and it's not very easy to do so to um, you know satisfy their really, let's face it, their desire to make it to the show. That's I mean, I, I would think that just about any kid who shows up at LSU or Alabama is thinking, how could you not? Those, those places have been NFL factories. So I know if I was that talented. So when you, you, when you play out the dynamic, and like I said, USC was a comp for me in the sense that they were a quarterback factory. But imagine if USC was able to have done it for five more years or 10 years. And to me, that's what Alabama has done and is doing and uh, I'm happy for Georgia. First win in the national championship since the Herschel Walker days. But like I said, I, I'm going to give uh, big props to Alabama for doing remarkable things. Like I said, from game day management to recruiting and everything in between. And you don't hear about a lot of these guys getting in trouble. And oh, by the way, they produce a shit ton of NFL players too. So some of those guys have probably appeared on our first guest's radar at some point in time. Of course, I'm talking about Nick Underhill. He is with New Orleans.Football. If you haven't checked it out, you must check it out, especially if you're not just a Saints fan, but an NFL fan in particular. But definitely, if you want insight into the New Orleans Saints, all things Saints, it's all about Nick Underhill. Nick, what's going on, my man? Hey, not much, man. How you guys doing? Pretty good, man. That's... uh. Let's let's get right to uh, the important things here. I know you're a big movie guy. What, what what good movies have you seen, or can you recommend? Give us a movie review. So movie review. I'm I'm going to see the new Scream tonight, so I'm extremely excited about uh, seeing that. I mean, that, that's one of my favorite movie franchises. Um, you know, recently, try to think, man. Um, I like I like the DiCaprio movie. I don't know if you guys saw that. It seemed a little uh, divided like a get, on social media. Get up media. or something like that. Get up or don't get up or yeah, something don't, like that. Don't don't look up. Yeah, uh, people seemed a little upset about it. I, I thought it was great. I thought I had a good sense of humor. Um, so I I don't know. That would kind of be my my one. But I'm like I'm a little scared to recommend it to anyone because I don't know. People get upset about everything these days. But um, I, I I liked it. Yeah, I liked it too. 
I thought it was an entertaining movie. I think it was well written. And uh, at times I kind of was like, is this supposed to kind of mirror or kind of poke fun at, you know, something that's happened in the political atmosphere in the last couple of years, you know, and then you see something else. You're like, maybe not. I can't really tell what position they're taking. You know, they kind of kept me on my toes. At least there were some things that I thought were pretty concrete, but overall, I don't think it should have offended anybody. I don't think it was that dramatic in a, in a sense, but Hey man, we've got a very temperamental society. We both know that for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Especially in the Twitterverse, right. And uh, on Twitter, man, you can, you know, you could talk about toenail colors and and get yourself under in, into some trouble. It's just a uh, it's just a crazy world out there in social media, Nick. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you say you like pancakes, someone will you know tell you that you're wrong for liking pancakes. So, I mean, that's just that's just kind of how things are these days. Well, luckily for us, we could talk football and hopefully not get ourselves into too much trouble talking football. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, so. There's a lot to talk about when it comes to the Saints, their season, etc. But I think a good starting point for the conversation is, it seems like around the league, like every year, you get a lot of head coaching openings and GM openings. And along with coaching moves come coordinator moves. And there's like a trickle effect or ripple effect, whatever you want to call it, in the coaching ranks that kind of sweeps through. So... Who are some of the guys, because the Saints have done a really good job with their staff and having some continuity, and uh, by all accounts, I mean, look, this team has been in the playoffs or been in the thick of things every single year, whether injuries to key players have been at play or COVID or whatever else. So you know that the coaching staff is doing a pretty damn good job. Who are some of the guys that are interviewing around the league, both front office and, uh, and on the coach, in the coaching ranks? Yeah, so surprisingly, the only person so far that that's gotten a sniff anywhere is uh, Jeff Ireland. He's, he's interviewing um, in Chicago tomorrow. I thought Dennis Allen was going to be someone that the cycle was finally going to get maybe his chance to, to at least go talk to some people. He's done a fantastic job with that defense. They were second in the league in points allowed per drive, and they were on the field just an astronomical amount of time. So like that, the degree of difficulty in, in coming in that um, – Slot is it's just crazy. I mean, they were getting no help from the offense, and you know they were playing basically you know nonstop. The time of possession was you know extremely difficult, and he just he just isn't getting a look. And I mean, I, I kind of get it in one sense. You know, he's with the Raiders four win seasons, and then gets fired in in, in uh, his third year, and there's a little bit of a uh, you know a stink on him from that experience. But on the other hand, I mean, I. I feel like he's done a really good job of, of rehabilitating himself. He's shown that what he does, he's a lead at. And I, I would just think that somebody would want to have a conversation with him to find out, hey, what did you find out during your last time as a head coach? You now know what you didn't know then. What would you do differently? You've been thinking about it for a lot of years. So what would it look like in the future? Except nobody wants to find out. And that's a little bit shocking to me. Um, you know, I think maybe once some of these, these other head coaching positions get filled, though, I think there might be a little bit more action on, on the rest of the Saints staff. I could see someone like Ryan Nielsen, um, their defensive line coach, maybe getting a look somewhere as a D.C. Um, you know, Chris Richard at, at some point could be back out there. Um, you know, that would 
he's he's coaching the secondary right now. I mean, I could see him definitely being uh, a DC at, at another time. Um, their running backs coach might be out as a uh, college head coach. Joel Thomas is uh, alma mater, but um, other than that, I mean, I I don't know that there's going to be a, a massive uh, amount of turnover on their staff. I think they're going to benefit from having some continuity, and, and you know, it feels like they should be on borrowed time with DA, but nobody's trying to to take that time away from them. So uh, I, it feels like they're going to be in pretty good shape moving forward, and you know, keeping that defense strong is is really important. I think for this team because. They are very much in a rebuild on offense. I mean, they, they kind of need everything. And if they can maintain that strength on defense, they can easily have 10, 11 wins next year if they just make the right moves, have a little bit, a uh, little bit of health uh, luck and stay strong on defense. Yeah. Now, are there any head coaching candidates that are out there not related to the Saints that are close with any of the coaches on the Saints? where they would try to lure them. Do you kind of see what I'm saying? Is, is there a coach of Canada out there where you're like, I know if this guy gets the head job, he's probably going to recruit, you know, whatever, or DC or, you know, special teams coordinator or whatever. Yeah, so it, it, it's kind of interesting, though, because, like, with other coaches, like, there's kind of, like, these, these trees and branches going everywhere, and, like, Peyton really doesn't have a tree, and it just kind of started to sprout a little bit. Last year, now, Aaron Glenn, if he were to get a head coaching job, and he's interviewed a couple places, that would be the one guy where I would think that, that maybe he comes back and tries to take somebody with him. But anybody else, like, it, it'd kind of be, you know, just off a pedigree, like, there's not a clear a clear connection uh, there. But Glenn, I, I believe he interviewed in Denver. Um, so if he got the job there, I, I think that would probably maybe be the one where, where possibly you could see Ryan Nielsen um, – moving on and, and getting a job there. But other than that, I mean, it, it would just have to be someone that, that kind of likes the things they're doing and, and, and wants to come for somebody. And, and they've been so good on defense that, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Nielsen's gotten a couple sniffs different places over the years. They, they stopped him last year from uh, going to LSU. I mean, so he, he's, he's extremely well-regarded. When he was at NC State, like he was putting guys in the league. After his whole defensive line of last year there uh, ended up in the league. I think they all, all of them got drafted, actually. Um, so, you know, at some point, he's going to get an opportunity to go somewhere. And, you know, if D.A. were to take off, I, I think he'd be the, the natural replacement in uh, New Orleans. But, um, like, as far as the clear lines, yeah, Glenn, Glenn's really the only name out there right now that I, I think, um, you know, could, could lead to a departure of some of the guys on the staff. Hey, Nick, we are up against a commercial break. Do you have a few more minutes to uh, hang with us? Yeah, I got a, I got a couple minutes. Okay. Stay with us, everyone. We're talking to Nick Underhill from New Orleans.Football. Check him out. Check his work out. Stay with us. We're going to continue the conversation right after this. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. 
Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back here with Nick Underhill from Ball. So I wanted to ask you about the salary cap, but before we move on from the discussion of front office guys and and coaches maybe uh, getting a look, getting an opportunity around the NFL for some of these openings. I saw you give a shout-out to somebody, or really just more like asking the question, I guess, and I'll go ahead and do the shout-out. That's to uh, Kai Harley. I mean, I think he's tremendous. Uh, having actually worked with him on, you know, deals, players, etc., he's uber-professional, super-knowledgeable, and he's very personable. I mean, he's the kind of guy that, you know, when you go into negotiation with him, you kind of feel like he wants both sides to be happy. And I know that a lot of people feel that a successful negotiation is to, you know, rip them off or get the better end of the deal or, you know, we're going to walk out of there, you know, bags of gold kind of mentality. But, uh, you know, I've done a lot of uh, research and training uh, on negotiations. Really, the best negotiation result is when both teams get, both participants get what they want. Both feel that they maybe could have got a little bit more, um, but they aren't upset about anything. And that's typically how I feel with Kai. Like, maybe I could have got a little bit more. Maybe not. They could have probably given a little bit less. Maybe not. But overall, both parties are happy. So that's just my personal experience with Kai. I think he's tremendous, and uh, I hope he gets an opportunity. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think he, he's probably one of the smarter guys in the league. And, and you know, I think one of the things that, that he does is, is he's empowered to think a little bit differently. And I, I don't know that a lot of people are allowed to do that, especially with the cap. Like, if you look at the way people talk about the Saints cap, and you're going back seven, eight years now of, of just doomsday predictions. And granted, last year, they ran up against it. They had to trim $110 million. They trimmed $110 million. They still won nine games despite starting 57 different players. So that would indicate to me that they at least had decent depth to kind of get through um, a, a kind of tragic situation uh, that, that played out year long. And that's due to him. You know, he, he figured out how to, how to fit those people, how to manage the cap, how to keep a good team together. But my, my point is is that, you know, I, I think a lot of people, the way they talk about the way the Saints manage the cop, A, it's not educated. Like, they just don't really understand how they're doing it, and nobody's taking the time to figure it out. 
But B, a lot of people would hear that noise and, and, and you know, the owner would start wondering why everyone's talking about it this way or that. Like, they give Kai total trust and do his thing. And he creates, you know, a, a very different outlook on, on how to manage it, but it works for them. They remain competitive every year. He stretches the value of every dollar as far as it can possibly go. And, you know, I, I just think he, he's someone that if you gave him a chance to run a team, he might do things a little bit differently than other people. And I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. I, I think that, you know, things are a little bit too stagnant with the way people hire and, and you know, it, GMs, coaches, everything. And, and people are afraid to, to, to do anything a little bit different. But I, I could see him doing a very good job of, of putting the right structure around himself to run a team and be a successful general manager. And I, I think his work with the Saints has, has shown that. Like, he's been put into a, a difficult situation and he finds a way out of it every year. And they kind of just, you know, throw everything at him and say, hey, make this work. And he's kind of the guy that, that makes it work. You know, they they got to trim 110 from the cap. And he, he tags, you know, he creates a situation where they can tag Marcus Williams. You know, it's it's really incredible um, what they're able to do. And just, just you know, they, his ability to, to stretch money and make it work is really unbelievable if you kind of study what they do. Yeah, I haven't heard uh, an agent say anything negative about him. Um, not me personally, at least. I haven't. I've never heard anything. Everything's been real positive. Uh, really hope he gets an opportunity because he's uh, definitely worthy. Or you know what? Maybe he's like a one of those guys that has been told, "Hey, you stick around here, and you're going to get a certain seat down the road." We'll see. Uh, there are so many different things that I would love to be able to talk with you about, but we're you know limited by time. So I'm going to refer the listeners to check out the following topics which you have addressed in your writing on neworleans.football. You write an article, Living Without Breeze. Uh, you talk also about that salary cap situation and depth, how they can shave off some grand amounts. I haven't read that one yet, but I'm looking forward to it because I want to see, because like you said, there's a lot of doom and gloom when it comes to the, the cap situation. It seems like every single year with the Saints, and then somehow, some way, they're magically able to make it work. So that should be an interesting piece. Do you want to find out a little bit more about, you know, some of the key guys, uh, free agency, either that they may be losing or targeting. But I think the big question that a lot of people have is the, uh, the guy that hasn't shown up for quite a long time, Michael Thomas, what, what's your read on Michael Thomas for 2022? So he had a second surgery, um, in November. So I, I think that his health should be good or at least as good as it's going to get at this point. Um, you know, I don't think there's going to be any additional missed time. There's plenty of lead up uh, going into the offseason that he should be healthy. And look, Mike's one of those guys that it's extremely hard to, to find anything out about him. You know, I think he runs a very tight uh, circle, and I think the people around him understand like how thin the level of trust is with him. And if it's if it's shattered at all, like you know, you you step over. There's no line. Like if you touch the line, you're out. So. It's hard to get a lot of information on him. So you kind of like read tea leaves and, and you do this stupid thing where you kind of study his, his social media and see what he's saying and see what he's posting. I would say that during the, the last game against the win, I, I kind of took it as like a very positive sign that he, he tweeted out who that, you know, there hadn't been a, a indication that he was, um, you know, really plugged into anything that was going on throughout the season. He, he showed up on the sidelines for one game, but I mean, it, it had been really silent for the for the most part, and you know I think if it, it, it there's a couple scenarios here on like how it could play out. 
the obvious bad one would be if it's so bad that it's a cancerous situation and it may just have to part ways. And, and that would be disastrous for the sense because I don't think Mike has uh, much trade value right now. It's as low as it, it would ever be. Hasn't played for a year. You know, teams know if the guy has to get out of there, you're not going to have to pay much to do it. It'd be a huge dead money hit. I think the best scenario, um, obviously, would be for everybody to have the kumbaya and then move forward and Mike plays out his contract. But even a meeting in the middle, you know, where, where it's just kind of like, all right, both sides are a little upset with one another. Find a way to get through next season. I think that would allow Mike to restore his trade value, and he could probably kind of pick his spot a little bit better from a, a position of strength. And B would allow, you know, the, the Saints to get a better return for him. And I think that's, that's probably where this thing ends up unless it is just so cancerous that he can't come back in the building. And I think at one point it, it felt closer to that than it does now. I, I feel like it's cooled off a little bit, and I wouldn't be surprised by any outcome, but that's not necessarily the one that I'm, I'm waiting to see at this point. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's anybody's guess really how this thing plays out, and it'll be extremely interesting to see if he can be the same player. I mean, it's been a long time, two surgeries. You know, I think he still will be good, but his, his game's so predicated on, like, the violence in his movements and the ability to, to, you know, cut harder and faster than, you know, defensive backscan. And that ankle needs to be able to do that. So, I mean, it, it is something that I think he needs to get on the field and show that he can still play. You know, this is a team that beat Tampa twice, beat the heck out of Green Bay on opening weekend. They beat New England. I mean, these are some of the best teams in football I can imagine that they would be a playoff team, or I would imagine they would have been a playoff team if you maybe have Kamara for a full season, Michael Thomas. So hopefully those guys are healthy going into next year. I know the passing attack definitely needs some help. I believe it was, you know, either at the bottom or, or towards the bottom in terms of passing yards. You know, this team has a fantastic defense. I was able to carry them, and hey, they were above 500, almost were, were a playoff team. You're obviously very familiar with the NFC. Now, we're going up head-to-head and uh, and some fantasy, some fun stuff here, so I'm not going to ask for all your secrets. <laughs> so rather than AFC and NFC, maybe just a quick uh, quick one-liner, who wins. Uh, we'll just do the NFC game. So Eagles-Bucks. i got to take the Bucks. Niners-Cowboys. I'm going to go Cowboys. I, I don't really believe in the Niners. Their running game was impressive against the Rams and really all season long. But um, i got to go Cowboys. I, I think they got a shot. Yeah, it's kind of odd. There's a lot of people that are uh, calling for an upset on this one. But, hey, we've seen when the Cowboys are clicking, their offenses uh, can be unstoppable at times. Probably a lot of that will have to do with how effective Zeke is early in the game. Cardinals and Rams. Uh, that's a good one. I'm... I'll go Cardinals. I, Rams didn't impress me last week. Maybe maybe it's just uh, recency bias, but I'll, I'll go Cardinals. Hey, man, they are 8-1 and one away from home. So this team doesn't fear going on the road. Nick, really quickly, do you have a Super Bowl pick as we start the playoffs here? I think I'm most impressed with uh, Green Bay, and I, I like what you did here because we're also in a pick 'em league, and you got half of my pick 'em picks here. So uh, I, I see what you're doing, and it was, it was, it was a savvy move. <laughs> oh, man. you know what? You, you, you caught me, man. I was, uh, I was, I was, I'm targeting you as one of the top challengers. So I was, uh, I'm taking notes here, man. I'm going to rewind and listen all over again. So, uh, so Green Bay is uh, is 
probably the team. It's hard to argue against Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers, and they've got the best receiver. They've got a great running back tandem, and their defense is pretty good. And you're going to have to go into Lambeau to beat them. So, Nick, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate you coming on with us. One more time, how can people follow you on social media, et cetera? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Nick underscore Underhill, Instagram, New Orleans football, and uh, that's, that's pretty much all of it. Awesome, Nick. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your evening, and uh, thank you for your picks, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Man. Thanks <laughs> for having me. That is Nick Underhill, NewOrleans.football. Check him out. Check out the site. Check out the uh, the plans are very affordable. Um, but if you're a Saints fan, you're going to be hard-pressed to find the kind of insight and details that he is able to provide on a daily basis uh, on social media. And then I'm not sure exactly how regularly some of these articles are uh, coming out, but they're, uh, you'll, be in, you'll be in tune with the team during what should be a very interesting off season for them. So we always are thankful to have Nick Underhill on with us. He's been on with us many, many times. And uh, every time he brings it, he brings the goods. So let's talk about some of those games that he made predictions on. Let's start with, let's start with the, let's start with the AFC. Since we just talked about the NFC for a minute, let's talk about the AFC just in case we run out of time. So, to me, probably the most exciting matchup of the weekend is going to be, and there, there's so many good games, but is the first one. That's a Saturday game, 1.30 Pacific time. So that'd be, what, 4.30 Eastern time. The Raiders and the Bengals. I almost called them the Oakland Raiders, by the way. I had to watch myself there. The Las Vegas Raiders and the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, This is intriguing for a whole host of reasons. First and foremost, I'm going to be a homer here for a second. I really like Derek Carr. Obviously, I've got affinity for the Raiders since my days with the Raiders. But I'm also rooting for Derek Carr because I think he's one of the most underrated, productive quarterbacks in the National Football League. He puts up numbers every year. Throws for a ton of yards doesn't throw for many interceptions. And if you really look at it, I mean, who are the dynamic wide receivers that he's had over the years? It's almost like it doesn't matter. Waller's in there, great. Waller's not in there, okay. Ruggs is in, Ruggs is not in. He's produced regardless of of the situation. He throws a really pretty deep ball. He's good in the short passing game. Doesn't throw a lot of interceptions. But for some reason, he's kind of slightly ignored. And I think one of the reasons for that is because of a lot of the rumors about Gruden and Carr and their relationship. And that Gruden, every single year he was there, up until very recently, was looking to replace him. And he was quite vocal about it, too, amongst... not. I wouldn't say necessarily the media, like he wasn't going out of his way to throw a car under the bus when he was talking to the media. But I will tell you, absolutely, from the guys I know that work there, that work in that building, he has made no, like, he has not hidden 
his desire. He did not hide his desire to talk about how he wanted to replace Carr. And he was kind of hopeful that it was going to happen during the draft, but he never found his guy. And you got to wonder what would have happened if he did find his guy, where Carr would be today. But that didn't happen, and Gruden's not there, and that's all part of yesteryear. Carr's best season was touted as a possible MVP season. And then he got hurt. So he missed the playoffs when he led them to the playoffs. He didn't play in that game against the Texans. So now he gets his first chance. Hard to believe. He's been in the league for a while. and That just shows you how bad the Raiders have been. I don't think it's a reflection on Carr or Carr's performance. It just kind of shows you how, long, how bad the Raiders have been for a while. This could be his first career playoff game. It's crazy just even saying that. On the other side, you're going to have somebody else in their first career playoff game too. So we have quarterbacks going up against each other that have not been in a playoff scenario yet. And we're talking about Jeff Burrow, of course. And uh, did I say Jeff? Joe, excuse me. Um, the, the Cincinnati Bengals are really exciting. And they can light up the scoreboard with a variety of different receivers. Mixon is a pretty underrated running back. But just to see what Jamar Chase did as a rookie. And then T. Higgins. And sometimes both of them during the same game. It was, if you're a fan of the passing attack, it was a thing of beauty. And, and, and Chase had a record-breaking rookie campaign, all-time type of rookie campaign. He almost had 1,500 receiving yards and 13 touchdowns. And let me tell you guys something. You could plug in a running back as a rookie and have him succeed. It is very different as a receiver. Sometimes it could take two or three years as a wide receiver to develop. It's not one of those things that's a plug-and-play like people think. Even if you're a first-rounder, there's a lot that has to, has to go your way in order for you to have a successful campaign as a rookie in the National Football League. There's just so much to learn, not just about precise route running, but also the blocking schemes, how fast the game is. You know, if you're one of the best receivers, even in the SEC, you're going to, you know, you're going to dust, you know, uh, Vanderbilt's DBs or, or some of these other teams, right? Um, where you're going to have some, I don't want to say easy games, but let's just say easier games. And then you come to the NFL and week in, week out, everybody is better. Every single person on the field is better than the best player that he went up against all year. When he was at LSU, as an example, he being uh, Chase. And so to be able to make that adjustment, to get the playbook down, blocking assignments, route running, get the rapport going with the quarterback, it's a big ask, and he did it very effectively. The other thing that's amazing, too, is to have two guys that are really productive. You don't really see that that often. You see it up in Seattle. 
but it kind of reminds me of like Jerry Rice and John Taylor or Anthony Carter and Randy Moss, where you could have two guys on the same day having eight catches and 100 yards and a touchdown or two. And their offense is capable of doing that and getting a rushing touchdown and 100 on the ground. I'll save my prediction until right after the commercial break, but this is my favorite, from an entertainment perspective, my favorite game of the weekend. Stay with us. We will be right back after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel find out what's happening on the voice america talk radio network by keeping up with us on twitter you can find us at voice america trn streaming live the leader in internet talk radio VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back for the final segment on today's show here. I believe we may be joined by Pop DiBiase shortly here. But until we do, we were just talking about the Raiders and the Cincinnati Bengals. And, you know, look, these teams, the Bengals actually, during the Marvin Lewis era, they had some pretty good teams. Uh, But overall, you know, really since like the 80s, you know, look, I know Dalton and the Red, you know, the Red Rocket and Marvin Lewis, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, some crazy wild playmakers on the defense. They made the Bengals relevant, relevant in the 2000s. But overall, by and large, the Raiders and the Bengals have not been legitimate, viable Super Bowl contenders for a really long time. Okay. But these are teams that are on the upside of things, especially Cincinnati only because I think Cincinnati has so many young players starting with their quarterback on through their receivers, running back, et cetera, that they're going to be putting up points for a really long time. The Raiders have some youth as well, but this 
matchup intrigues me. I know it also intrigues our next guest here, friend of the show. He's probably going to be a Hall of Famer on the Mike Abadir show after maybe another uh, year or two. We'll see if the sports writers induct him. I think they will. He gets my vote. Pop DiBiase. What's going on, Pop? What's up? What's up? What's up? One of my favorite shows to be a part of. What's going on, Mike? How's everything going with you today, brother? Man, excited for this uh, Raiders and Bengals game, man. I know that you are as well. We both don't hide the fact that, you know, hey, we, we like the silver and black. We could be objective, but in our hearts, we're always going to bleed silver and black and root for them to win. They've got a tough matchup this weekend, man. And uh, to me, I think it's really about can they go toe, you know, point for point, toe to toe and outscore Cincinnati on the road? Can Carr and company well, my- do that? You know, I, I think they would have to have Waller healthy if they're going to have any chance to put up as many points. Mike got me pumped up. He said, can, can they go point for point with the Bengals? Can they go point for point with the Bengals? Of course they can go point for point with the Bengals. The scariest thing that the Bengals could ever see coming is this Raiders team. And I'm not saying this tooting my horn or tooting the horn because, you know, I, I got love for the Raiders. You know, I'm an L.A. Raider for life. But at the end of the day, though, I, you know, as I always like to say in the betting game, everybody's my favorite team on Sundays because it, the ones that are making me money. So, but when it comes down to this game and I look at it in a sense to where it, when I look at it in as a media person, Ah, and I would say if I'm Zach Taylor, a coach that I'm not impressed with, I think that he's literally a jockey that's riding on a great horse, Mike. This is like, you know, if you had secretariat or something of that nature. But Bengals aren't a secretariat, so it's more like having a, meh, I would say a timber country or something like that. So pretty much I say this. The Raiders eliminated four teams out of playoff contention to get into the playoffs. If they lose any of those games, they're out of the playoffs. They've already passed the first test. They've already dealt with adversity moving into this playoff. Now, you got a Bengals team that's not telling you the whole truth. There's more to that Burrow injury that happened at the end of the Chiefs game because all he had to do was hand off the ball to the running back, but they still took him out. And then they started the uh, the backup the next week. So I'm kind of like, well, I think there's more to that injury than they're, they're leading up to be. And then when I look at the fact that this Raider team is led by Derek Carr, a team first guy, Derek Carr just wants to win football games. I say this because he's willing to let Marcus Mariota run at least five to ten plays a game as the running, as the RPC, as the RP option. That is a great teammate right there. And I just think that the Raiders got everything flowing the right way to go up in here and up in this uh, Cincinnati team that's just that everybody thinks that they're ready for the for the prom, but I don't think that they're ready for the prom yet, though, Mike. That's my whole thing. Because I saw Cleveland break break them in half. I saw the Chargers break them in half. The Raiders beat both of them. The Raiders beat both of them, Mike. And they beat the Ravens. They beat the Steelers. They beat all the teams that the Bengals beat. beat. And I know the Bengals had their little 19-point win over the Raiders, but that game was a game that was of coincidence 
for the uh, Bengals. They had a, a that was a tough nineteen point win. They won more off of Raider mistakes than the Raiders actually, you know, being uh, you know uh, dominating the Raiders. I didn't think they dominated the Raiders. I thought the Raiders made a lot of mistakes, and I just think that. I'm going to stay to my mantra about the Bengals. They're not a big game team yet, Mike. Yeah, don't let the Kansas City game fool you because Kansas City's defense is regressing again. And that was a must-win situation for the Bengals, and that was a whatever situation for Kansas City. So at the end of the day, the Raiders win this game. Bet them big, Mike. Take the money line. Forget the spread, brother. Wow. That's some um, uh, unequivocal – backing there man i mean look i i get all your reasons and they make they're very plausible they make a lot of sense but for me it's really hard to look past just some of the the obvious numbers like the Bengals outscored the raiders on the season by almost 100 points defensively they gave up let's see here about 80 points less points during the season so the result of that is a pretty big differential. The Raiders this year are minus 65 point differential, minus 65. Bengals are plus 84. So that's, that's what's hard for me to look beyond. Now, I think the one thing that is in favor of the Raiders is they, even though this is going to be the first playoff start for both of these quarterbacks, I think Carr is poised and experienced enough in this game that he's not get to let not going to let the moment get to him. And with Burrow, look, this isn't the college national championship game. This is the NFL playoffs. It's it's a different animal. So anybody that comes at me and says, "Well, Burrow, you know, LSU, look, he was on an All Star team and he beat up on, on on a lot of you know mediocre teams during the season." Yeah, SEC, I get it. But and yeah, I get it. Won the national championship, all of those things. But he was on a clearly superior team. Now he gets to go up against NFL defenses in the playoff atmosphere. You know, I, I think from an experience perspective overall, because overall, the team is so young on Cincinnati's side of things, that there's definitely an advantage for the Raiders. I'm just concerned about if the Bengals click like they have been, can they go point for point? Burrow had a stretch there where he went for 300 yards, 348 yards, 525, and 446. And that's including, you know, defenses like the Chargers and the 49ers um, and and the Ravens and Kansas City. And, yeah, I agree. Kansas City's kind of regressed a little bit defensively. But nobody's been able to stop him. So it'll be really interesting to see if, the front seven for the Raiders, if they could kind of control the, the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, put some pressure on Burrow, pressure him into making some rookie type of mistakes. That, to me, is going to be the well, key. Well, you know, you said the Chargers, but the Chargers beat him by 24 points. And Burrow was like, I don't Burrow was decent that day, but I wouldn't say that he, he, he killed him because he had a lot of turnovers that day as well, too. And this is something where I, I say, okay, I get exev- everything that you're saying, Mike, and I, t- I agree with that part because they are a tough test. They are a tough task. But my, we've seen this movie before. Young team, first playoff game, and they absolutely uh, crap the bed. Now, 
why I say this is because I look at losses. The Raiders had a bad loss against the Giants. All right. But the Bengals had a really bad loss against the Jets. But then you say, but the Raiders lost to the Bears. But the Bengals lost to the Bears, too. So, to me, they are really on an even playing field. I think that you have two teams that are mirror images of each other in a sense in a sense on how their seasons went. There was points in times where you had doubt about the Bengals, and there was points in times where you said, oh, this is the, the next coming of Boomer Esiason and uh, Carl Pickens. But, you know, do you have that view? And then you have the Raiders start off 3-0, and and literally the Raiders from that point on went 3-7 and and finished out the season 4-0. and So you got to tell us streaky, three different streaky seasons team, with the Raiders. Sure. Very streaky yes, team yes. for so, sure. I know I'm running out of time. Let me stop. And so my point is, is that you got two even teams out here, and the spread should be a lot lower than what it is right now. Let's uh, quickly move on. Quick one-liners. Patriots and Bills. Thoughts? Bills. <laughs> not believing in Turn the, off the, the lights. Unit. Not, not believing in the, in the unit that Belichick put together, huh? Doesn't matter. The the rookie hit the wall. You can't run the ball fifty two times in this game. Sorry, bro. It's not gonna happen. Okay. Tampa and the way and that Eagles. the Bills kick their butts, yeah, yeah, no, it's not happening. Okay. Tampa and the Eagles. Bro, that's a thirty point blowout right there. Bucks are gonna have, the Bucks are gonna be victory lapping by the top of the fourth quarter, bro. Even without Godwin and, and, and Antonio. Uh, uh, let me tell you something. This Eagles team has beat nobody that was uh, over 500. They're 0 and 7, 9 and 1 against teams under 500. That, that closes my case right there on the Eagles. They don't have a chance. 49ers at Dallas. Well, you know, I picked the Cowboys to uh, win the Super Bowl, and I think that they're going to absolutely run the rough shed on the 49ers. I think that they're Jimmy G's thumb. The, he got lucky last week because the Rams got too cute, but the Ram, but the Cowboys ain't going to be cute. They know it's a rivalry game, and they're going to take it straight to the 49ers, and they're probably going to end that game pretty early. Any chance for the Steelers to upset the uh, Chiefs? All I got to say is 2000 and uh, – what, what year was it? 2006. This time uh, about 16 years ago. I remember there was a hot shot quarterback named Peyton Manning with a fourteen and two team, and the whole world said that they were they would smoke the Steelers by at least twenty eight today. That team lost, and so ever since that day, I've always told myself never doubt Big Ben. I don't say that the Steelers win this game, but I'm going to say that they're going to make the uh, Chiefs really work for this one. And if the Chiefs don't get physical with the uh, Steelers, I'm going to just keep it real with you, Mike. They going home. Okay. That defense because we have 30 seconds left, just who wins, uh, Rams and, and Cardinals? Easy. Rams. Cardinals are done. They've been done since the, uh, the uh, Carolina game. Here are my favorite plays, and then we're going to wrap. I like the Raiders Bengals over. I like the Patriots getting four. And I like the Cardinals getting four and possibly even upsetting the Rams. Pop, thank you for joining us. That's all the time we have for this week's show. Enjoy every moment of this NFL playoff weekend. Thank you for listening. We'll see you same time, same place next weekend. 
Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week. Oh,